Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's pray. So Father, right now, in Jesus' mighty name, we just thank you that when we got born again, we, had the, we have the opportunity to intersect and connect with your heart. You sent your son to the earth so that men, women, children, and teenagers could get born again. And Father, we just thank you that in this season, the season of the Spirit, the season of salvation, that we have the opportunity as the church to connect with you to win our world to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Praise the name of the Lord. We're going to be teaching you some things about outreach and evangelism. Benny, did you take my top page? And we're going to be teaching some things both from the scripture, from our experience. We're going to be taking biblical uh, principles, but we're going to share a lot of them uh, through testimony, things that we have personally experienced. Uh, Between the three of us, we do have some experience. We're not experts. We're ordinary believers who've learned to hook up and connect with the spirit of the living God. And in that, in that way, we've often had uh, experiences in the marketplace and in our places of work. Uh, we've led people to Jesus Christ. Um, we do it all the time. It's not a secret. God makes it very simple. Commonly, what happens with the church is they just don't know how. And so if you give them a little bit of a sense of how to win the world to Jesus Christ, you're going to find that uh, we're going to be, as Pastor Patsy said, uh, Raymond Family Church is going to be a soul-winning machine. Uh, We're going to be a church that's engaged in our world with those that don't know Jesus Christ to bring the lost to Jesus Christ. I'd like to start here. Numbers of years ago, I was selected in a church in Perth in Western Australia to be the outreach minister. Uh, Nobody else in the group wanted to do it. They were all frightened. Uh, And so they decided, who would we pick to be the outreach minister? Well, why don't we pick Karen Working Team? And there were four of them, and three voted uh, for me, and I ended up being the outreach minister. The pastor of that particular church had a plan that we would leave the building every Saturday, and we would go into uh, the main mall of the city. Uh, In Perth, it's Hay Street Mall. And that we would get a team together and we would go out and we would set up church in the marketplace. And we did that for numbers of years. There were numbers of people on our team. Our team in time grew from six hot Holy Ghost ladies who knew how to pray for the lost to 120, 130, 140 people that would roll up as trained soul winners and people would come to begin to look and see what we were doing. We would set up sets in the marketplace right in the, right in the middle of this modern city in Perth. Very modern city, right in the middle of the Hay Street Mall. It's an outdoor mall. We began to pray and people would begin to come. In the early days, if we got five or six punk rockers listening to us, we would think we had had a multitude. And the Lord said, begin to pray for more and we began to pray for more. And over a period of years... We would roll up to this place in the marketplace. This is in Australia. These are Australian stories. 
And we would simply, as ordinary believers, intersecting with the spirit of the living God, would roll up in the center of our city, and we would find that there would begin in time, there would be a crowd waiting for us. Really, in many instances, several hundred people. It wasn't the church that was waiting. It was those that did not know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, what were we bringing? Well, we were, we were sort of entertaining. Uh, we had all the top church singers in our group. We had theater people in our group. We had people who could testify. And, it, and we would sing as a group, and we were sort of like, you know, the Hay Street Mall Holy Ghost Choir. We had guitarists. We had it all. So if you didn't know what to do on a Saturday night, people began to talk, and they would roll up at the Hay Street Mall. And what would happen is as they rolled up on a Saturday night where they could go to the arcades, they could go on dates, they'd go to the restaurants, they often would come for a few minutes of church. Church. Church in the marketplace. And so I remember this one particular Saturday evening, and I'll never forget it, and I regularly tell this story. I honestly can't do it too often without getting a bit weepy. But this one Saturday night, I, I played a, great, a game with the crowd. Excuse me for a second. I, prayed a, I played a, great, a game with the crowd. And I said this to them, and we, had, we were just at the edge of a set. Sets run about 15 minutes. And I said to the crowd, there were about 200, 250 people there. They weren't born again. They were just Saturday night high flyers. And there they were in the middle of the Hay Street Mall. And I said, okay, I have a little game for you. I said, give me a J. I said, okay, give me a J. And they gave me a J. You all know where I'm going. They had no idea. This is part of the alphabet. Give me an E. Give me an E. Gave me an E. Give me an S. Give me an S. They gave me an S. Give me a U. Give me a U. They gave me a U. Give me an S. Give me an S. They gave me an S. And I said then, what does it spell? They stopped for a minute. Of course, the Holy Ghost Choir knew what it spelled. But they had to go J-E-S-U-S. What does it spell? And I said, quietly, they, they responded back. Quietly, most of them could speak English. When they went through J-E-S-U-S, they did come to the conclusion it spelled the name of Jesus. And so I said, what does it spell? And very quietly, they said Jesus. And the game goes is, I can't hear you. And just a little more quietly, a little more loudly, they again said, the name of Jesus. And then again, I said to them, I can't hear you. And at that point in time, it was really hard for them to say this, this beautiful name that transforms lives and sets people free and was not common in their vernacular in a place in which he was being revered in the middle of their world. And so to say it, there had to be a recognition that there was something beyond the realm of the natural in, where the, in which they commonly move that took them to a place that might be uncomfortable, 
But in that moment, it became incredibly real. And I said again, what does it spell? And I looked out over the crowd, and there wasn't a person in the crowd that didn't begin to cry. There's something about that name that gets past our intellect, and it gets past our emotion. I'm not talking about the fact that they began to cry because there was an emotional response. I'm talking that something was happening from the heart of mankind when Jesus, with his love, uh, is allowed to reach out in the way that he has always attended. And there were tears everywhere. And the day the Hay Street Holy Ghost Choir saw the lost say the name of Jesus in a holy and sacred environment, in the middle of the world, in the middle of the marketplace, and they saw how he could touch their lives. We all tell this story over and over again, and it's the story that I want to start with this evening. So many times there are thoughts about how we would win our world to Jesus Christ. And, you know, there's all sorts of kind of training out there, ways, you know, and strategies and things like that. I want to really make it simple for you. When we talk about achievable ways to win our world to Jesus Christ, I'm going to just suggest to you that we take the things that we know, the tools that we have, that we use in our ordinary, everyday Christian life, and we simply transfer it into the marketplace. We pray. We operate in love. We're kind. We use the power of the word. Things that we already are pretty familiar with, but we begin, we're so commonly familiar with those within the church environment, which is, which is wonderful. That's all, the church is all about that. And that is part of the discipling process and the growing up to uh, be like Jesus. But those same tools, I'm going to tell you what, you can pick this up. Those same tools are tools that we can take and we can move in the, into the marketplace and win our world to Jesus Christ. If I could say it simply, in the middle of this crazy world that we're in nowadays, you know, we're saying this could be our new normal. I'm going to talk to you about normalizing winning the world to Jesus Christ. Let's just make this a normal part of our life and how we function, that we can pick this up. There are things that we can do that are not hard. They can become very common to us. Where I'm going to tell you numbers of stories, I'm going to tell you they came simply from me being a believer that's begun to learn to cooperate with the Spirit of the living God. I want to say it that way. I think it's really just about that simple. Wow, it's a wonderful time to be sharing our faith. You know, we're in the middle of this you know, second year of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of things that have happened all over the earth. But if I were really to give it, you know, merit in what is really uh, something that you could give value to in an eternal sort of fashion, I would say it this way. The pandemic that's always existed from the time that Jesus left the earth is that men, women, children, and teenagers are dying and going to a Christless eternity. And it's far greater than the plague that has come to this earth. And it's always been in place. And in this season, we even heard this morning in the morning's message, there has always been a church. And so what I'm saying is to the crisis that remains for those outside of Jesus Christ, the answer has been here on the earth. 
when Jesus came, he was the answer. Jesus is the answer for the pandemic or the dilemmas of mankind. In this season, and really always in some season, people ask these tough questions. They're questions related to their mortality, you know, the human frailty. You know, am I going to live forever? How long am I going to live? And when I pass on, will I go to heaven? I'm telling you, even the most hardened person on the earth will, will question what happens when I die. What happens when I die? Is there life after death? And if there is, where am I going to go? I remember talking to this young man. He was selling things in the middle of uh, uh, one of the malls nearby, and he was selling me something, and he said, have I done enough to get to heaven? I was sharing the gospel with him. And I said, well, I, I can tell you how to get to heaven. And he said, so, and I told him how to get to heaven. You have to believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and rose from the dead. Agree to that. Be willing to say so. And the Bible says you're born again. It's not harder than that. It's not any harder than that. And he said, so if I don't take that step, he said, where do I go? And I go, he'd seen the movies. You know, if it's not up, it's down. And so we smiled in the mall. And uh, as much as that was a comment on something that most of the world really knows, how do they know? There's an instinct about these things. There's an instinct about the end, and there's an in- instinct about, you know, uh, a potential for heaven, and there's an instinct about I could perhaps miss heaven. And for some of those, you know, the question is, am I going to go to heaven? We minister to people in the marketplace all of the time. One of the questions I commonly ask them is, hey, listen, do you mind if I ask you a question? And they'll give me the time of the day, and I'll say, listen, do you have any, it's kind of a notable question, do you have any idea how to get to heaven? You know, and I get a variety of answers. I love the wrong ones because then I can bring the right answer. And there's a lot of wrong answers out there. They're pretty common. I'm a good person. You never killed my husband. I don't beat my wife. Um, you know, I haven't really stolen since I was 16. You know, and the stuff with cigarettes, well, you know, I mean, the whole world's changed and et cetera. So, you know, I'm a pretty good soul. And so I'm pretty sure I'm going to get there. Do you mind if I tell you what the Bible says? Now go ahead and tell them what the Bible says, which I just quoted to you, that you have to believe Jesus is the Son of God, died, that he died and rose from the dead. Be willing to say so and genuinely believe so in your heart. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there with, uh, uh, you know, interest in other religions. And, uh, you know, one of the questions they will commonly ask themselves is uh, a, re- a religion based on works. Uh, we could call them false religions. We could call them religions that, you know, uh, uh, haven't really taught people about how to get born again. And so, you know, the end result of the possibility of arriving uh, at, at heaven's gates, Peter opening the door. It's in the movies. I'm not sure the Bible says it quite like that. I'm just saying it to illustrate. But anyway, and that point is they'll often ask themselves the question is, you know, ha- have I done enough? You know, ha- have, I, have, I mean, have, I really, have I really done enough? And so the question of our mortality is approached uh, in numbers of fashions and numbers of ways. And one of the things I, I want to share with you is as believers, we have this amazing confidence that when we have really asked Jesus to come into, into our hearts that we are truly born again and we are immediately destined for heaven and to live within the realm of the kingdom and, and, and have access to all the benefits that God has ever brought to the earth for us while we're here. And yet there's more to come. We have that confidence. It's an amazing confidence. And from that confidence, there's so many things that we can do as a church. 
uh, to, to share our faith. The other day, I was uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was on the bus. Lord gave me an assignment. When I go to public sp- uh, places, I usually ask myself the question, you know, I'm a 24-7 Christian, except when I'm sleeping and not paying attention. But, you know, if I'm on duty, I mean, I'm on the earth, I'm born again, I, I'm here to serve Jesus. Uh, that doesn't mean just sitting in the church. That means that I take the church wherever I go. I am the church. And so I'm sitting on the bus one day. I'm on my way to a doctor's appointment, and I'm going to take the bus so I don't have to battle the traffic. And so I'm on the bus, and once I got past Facebook, some of you know I'm famous in Facebook. And so uh, when I got past Facebook, I thought I better ask the Lord the question, is there an assignment on the bus? Why wouldn't he have an assignment for me on the bus? There's people on the bus. Well, and there's lots of people that aren't born again on the bus, so... You know, I might as well, you know, use my time for the kingdom business. So I saw a lady. The Lord said to me, I want you to pray for her. Now, I had no unction, no compunction whatsoever to go and speak with her. But I did have a, uh, an assignment from God. And so he and I talked, on, I talked to God on her behalf. God and I are friends. Now, this woman I'd never seen before in my life. I have no idea if she's born again. I suspect she's not from what I sensed in my heart. I don't know what's going on in her day. He does know her extremely well. You know, I'm aware of the fact that he knows how many hairs are on her head, you know, and and what her deal is. I don't know if there's anybody on the face of the earth that was praying for that woman. I certainly don't know if anybody was praying for her at that moment. But Jesus loves her so much that while I'm sitting on the bus, he decided to, you know, just put me into, into service. I'm a volunteer in the local church everywhere I go. I'm on that service team every time I'm out in the marketplace. I want to be available to Jesus, and I want to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to Woolies, and I'm going to Woolies, and this is just a few weeks ago, and I walk into Woolies, just up in Springwood here, Daisy Hill, and I say to the Lord, you know, this place is full of people who aren't born again. Is there something you want me to do? And so I will commonly ask him, is there someone I'm to speak to? Is there someone I'm supposed to help? Is there something I'm supposed to do on your behalf because you sent your son to the earth and you love people? And I am your hands and feet. I, I, I'm your voice on the earth. I'm, I, I'm here to serve. I'm, I'm in the volunteer. I'm a volunteer in the army of Jesus Christ. You know, so I'm in Woolworths. I mean, are there people in Woolworths who are not born again? Well, sure, I mean, and they're a bit of a captive crowd. They're shopping, you know, so you can get behind them in your trolley. You can follow them around. You can pray in the Holy Ghost. You know, all sorts of things you can do. Benny's going to talk about some of that in his part of his session. So I go to the checkout. I haven't run into anybody at that point in time. I go to the checkout, and there's a young man at the checkout. Remember, I'm, I'm available because he is. He's 24-7, God. He's available. And so I, I, I look at the young man that's checking out my groceries, and I'll call him Peter. He had a different name. I could see his name badge. And I look up, and I am startled. Now and then the assignment surprised me. I'm startled because he's checking out my groceries, about 16, 17 years old, and he's sobbing. He just begins to weep. Okay, it didn't take much to know there could be something wrong, but I did go ahead and ask the social question. Do you mind if I ask you if there's something wrong? And he looked at me and he said, yes. And he kept checking out my gro- groceries and crying. Well, why could he do so? Because the church had arrived. 
See, you see, if we had set up the altar in the marketplace and an altar call had come for comfort and ministry or, you know, help in, any, in, in time of need, people come forward. But when they're not in church, you have to bring the altar to the marketplace. And when you do so, you bring the presence of the Lord. And he will, just like in the Hay Street Mall, he will minister. Because we join God on mission and we join him on assignment. And here's a young man that needed someone who could give, help him in his time of need. Nothing amazing, but I am the church. And I was in Woolies, and he was checking out my groceries. And so we began to talk, and I asked him what was wrong, and he said that he was depressed. I asked him if he was really depressed. I asked him if he was depressed often, and he said yes, and it wasn't just from COVID and lockdowns and things like that. He really suffered this. And I said, you know, I, I, I can pray for you. I, I can talk to God for you. Uh, I know God, and I can talk to him for you, and I can ask God to help you. Would that be okay? And he, he agreed that I could ask God to help him. And so I have my eyes open, and I'm looking at uh, Peter, and he's checking out my groceries. And I'm not speaking in tongues, and I'm not speaking loud, but I say, Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you're here to meet Peter's needs and that you can reach out in your love right now, and you can comfort him. And you can, uh, you can help him uh, in this particular time of need. And I know that you'll do so because you love him. I asked him, and he had a little bit of a church school background, if he knew much about Jesus. He was familiar with the fact that God had sent his son. And I said, you know, he can be with you all the time. He's checking out my, he's scanning my groceries. And, uh, you know, the queue's starting to get up, get, you know, line up just a little bit. And uh, I said, so I just moved forward. And God's revealing himself to him because I'm talking to this young man about him. So God does his part. I just do mine. But God does the part that's going to lead him to salvation. And I said, you know, uh, he'll be someone that will be with you, that you'll, that'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll always be with you, can help you, can heal you of your depression. Would you like to? The Bible said, you know, I'll just tell you what the Bible says, that you just have to believe Jesus is the son of God and that he died and rose from the dead. I said, do you believe that? He said, I believe that. And I said, the Bible said, if you really believe it and you're willing to say so, that, that he'll be with you forever. And he said, I believe that. And so we moved on. And then I went on my way. I got his uh, phone number. Uh, I text him all the time, about once a week. I text him memes about Jesus, you know, memes and cool pictures. And I tell him that God loves him. He hasn't answered me back, but I know he reads them. It's a lot you can do in modern technology with people that you meet in the marketplace. You know, this, this thing that we call evangelism, revolution, is the love of God. And we have a slide that shows uh, the power of uh, this love that God sent to the earth. Uh, you know, when we got born again, uh, in fact, let's say it this way. When G God sent his son to the earth, the minute that his son came to the earth, love came. Love came. And I like to say this on the day of Pentecost, uh, love was released. Love was released. We talk about power that was released. We talk about salvation that came. We talk about the spirit upon, the spirit within. We talk about, you know, we, get, we, get, we gained the ability to minister in his name. But let me tell you why, why it all was there is because love was released. We're involved in the greatest love revolution that you could ever possibly be engaged in. Oh, you know, we're born again. But I'll tell you what, there's not a soul in this room that can't move out with the love of God. 
the love of God has been released into the church, and I believe that this next revolution that's happening by his spirit in this season is one that is just simply full of the love of God. It'll be easy for us to participate in that because there's not a soul in the room that hasn't experienced personally, tangibly, the love of Jesus Christ. And love is a really easy thing to give away. You know, the gospel message is really that so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, uh, but that the world through him might be saved. The Bible tells us in, in Romans 5 verse 8 that God proved his, his passionate love his absolute passionate love for dying in our place. And when did he die in our place? When we were lost and ungodly. That's when he died for us. He died for us with great and grand passion. When I talk about the easiness we can, or the ease that we can, uh, 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 you know, use in the marketplace to spread the love of God is this because the minute we got saved or born again and became a Christian, his love was shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So we're going to talk to you about some secrets to supernatural soul winning, but I want to stir your hearts that this is achievable, and it's something that's easy to engage in when you learn to simply cooperate with the Spirit of the living God because he will guide you, and he will direct you, and he'll put people in your pathway. One of the secrets to supernatural soul winning is to develop an eternity-minded perspective, uh, that you are uh, fully aware of the fact that as you go out into the marketplace, uh, that you are on assignment, that you and Jesus are engaging with things that truly matter, that make a great difference. In John chapter 15, verse 19, Jesus said concerning this, uh, concerning us, uh, that, that we're not of the world. In fact, he said that, uh, you know, what was going to happen when he died and when he um, uh, was raised from the dead, that he was choosing us out of this earth. So right now in front of me is a, is a mighty army that God has chosen. There's not a soul in this room. This is uh, somewhat a voluntary army, but by selective service, he's chosen you. Not one of you has been left out. He's elected you, he selected you to take the privilege of carrying his love to the world, to those who are dying and going to a Christless eternity. So when we look at this and we have a sense of being eternity-minded, we could say it this way, that we're destined for eternal destinies. I want to say this, when you learn to follow the Holy Ghost, in any place or any time that he calls you to function and operate, and you're on fire for Jesus, you're going to be forever ruined for the ordinary. Forever ruined for the ordinary. You see, the miracle of salvation is, is this thing that in the Bible it says that when we got born again, we become a new creature in Christ, a, a new species of being. Another way I like to talk about this transformation is this, is that mere man got the opportunity at salvation to intermingle, intersect with our Heavenly Father, we actually connect with God. What a privilege is that? It's personal. He's familiar with us. He knows us. And his deal is to intersect with us. 
So when you get a sense of being eternity-minded, one of the things I would suggest is, is that your life takes a greater purpose. And so when we get a sense of a greater purpose, purpose in the fact that we were bought with a price, on, a price on purpose and that we begin to be engaged with God doing the things that he's called us to do, I, would say, I like to say it this way. He, he regularly gives us holy and heavenly assignments. You know, we move from the realm of just simply being natural, biological, and ordinary. You know, we move to, the minute we got born again, we have access to the kingdom of God, the things of God, and the realm of the spirit. And so assignments come to us from that realm and from that dimension. That's where the power comes from. That's where the assignments come from. That's where the missions come from. And he's giving them out regularly because there are so many people in need. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 16, that, you know, they're not of the world talking about us. He was talking about us. Uh, it's before we were even born. He was talking about us. He said, you know, they're not of the world. You know why? He says, because I'm not of the world. And so when we intersect with him, we can be involved in things that I call uh, believer's callings. In, John, in, in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he gave an assignment uh, may I say it this way? He, he, he put on every believer the opportunity for an amazing divine and a holy calling. When we talk about callings, I call this the believer's calling. He said this, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Not one of us has been left out of this. Don't think of it as a burden. Think of it as, are you kidding? You mean you even picked me? I remember sitting in the front row of my church in Seattle, Washington, many years ago when there was a call for missions. And I'd been having intersections with the Lord Jesus Christ about things that were so amazing that he had done for me, and there was a call for missions. And I raised my hand higher than anybody, and I said, oh, please, pick me. Pick me. You want a life of purpose and intention? Something that impacts this earth? Connect with Jesus with this believer's call. Be engaged with going into all your world and bring the gospel to every creature, every person that comes across your path that the Lord puts on your heart. I call this the original mobilization of the church. You know, this is the season of the spirit in which I believe key things are, are related to the church infiltrating the world, that, that, it's, that it, there is an infiltration that can come when we follow the purposes and the intentions of God, which are riddled with his love, riddled with his love. The church building was never intended to simply be a place where we congregate, and I don't mean this in any ugly sort of way. I don't like that kind of teaching. What I am saying is that when we come to an amazing place that has rich instruction, we then have the opportunity to take that and to go out into our world and to mobilize ourselves and take that, take those truths and bring them to those that have no idea who God really, really is. You know, see, it's a training site. You know, and you know, when the army trains, they don't then pass the training staying at the barracks. They don't stay in the gym. You know, they go out into the battlefield. What's the battle? Oh, there's a battle. Uh, we're out there fighting for the freedom of those that cannot fight for themselves. We are the voice for those who are dying and going to a Christless eternity. 
You know, David, David, it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, he said concerning himself that when he was getting ready to pass away, that he served his own generation. Another word you can use from another translation is is that he impacted his generation. He wasn't going to just pass on when his time was up, but he had been engaged in his own generation to impact his generation for the things that God had destined him to do. I'm telling you what, we need to be that kind of generation. We need to be believers that are going to hook up and connect with and understand that we got born again. When we got born again, our God is living. He's powerful, and he is alive, and we can be that generation. We can be that church that is Christ-centered, that is spirit-empowered, that raises up leaders for a global revival. It can be a grassroots uh, revival. It can come from the ranks of those that are sitting in the chairs. I'll tell you what, because there's not one of us that doesn't have the same Jesus living and resident within us. And when we're baptized in the Holy Ghost, there's that power that comes upon us in order to minister supernaturally. I believe it's our season to achieve our best potential in Jesus Christ, to hook up and connect with him and to clearly hear his voice so that we as Ramah Family Church are a bond or a band of those coming together with a common passion to be more like him and to take up this call so that as many souls as possible can be won by uh, those in this congregation and other congregations throughout Australia and the world to win the world, our world, to Jesus Christ. I want to say it this way. I believe that we can be engaged in shifting culture that we are today's church in a modern world and we can move at the beckoning of the Holy Ghost and we can see phenomenal things happen by his spirit. Why wouldn't I expect that? I believe the Bible. And so I'm going to take what I believe and I'm going to bring it to those who have no idea and I'm going to find ways that I can share my faith that will not separate me from them, but that will pull us together so that I can represent Jesus Christ in a way that will make him attractive. We speak for God. I believe that in this day we need to be culture shifters. Ooh, yeah, we just need to get together and we need to conduct the business of eternal affairs. Yeah, this is the eternal fair business church. We're taking care of God's business for him with him. You know, we speak for God. We are the voice of God in the world, and I uh, want to take you to a very familiar passage in regards to the believer's call, and it says here in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, in regards to this wonderful, phenomenal experience that we've had to be born again. It says here in verse 8, or I said 13 through 15, and I go to 8. It'd be the way I wrote my notes. And it says here, but what does it say in Romans chapter 10? But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, here it is, you shall be saved. It isn't any harder than that. You have to be genuine, believe so. 
And it says here, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Next step, with the mouth, you're willing to say so. Confession is made unto salvation. Well, what are the results? It says in verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jews and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. Here's that strong phrase that we have as our confidence. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there is a need in our world, and there is a grave dilemma. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Heaven's perspective. How beautiful are the feet of them who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So verse 17. So then faith to believe and faith to receive comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The biblical response of that church in that day and at that time was, it says in uh, uh, verse 18, their sound has gone out to all of the world and their words to the end of the world. I have a, a, a slide of our local, our local region of both uh, this local region and also the state of Queensland. It says here in Matthew chapter 28, we're talking about the, the calling out of the church. I'm going to ask you a question before I, I share with this. Is uh, Whose responsibility uh, is, are the lost in this area? Who's, whose responsibility is it? I'll ask that question. I'll answer it for you, and the answer is us. And you might say, well, well why is it us? I'm going to give you a really simple answer. It's because we're here. We're the ones that are here. He's planted us here. Uh, he's planted us out to minister out of our homes, out of our places of business, to minister out of our uh, fabulous local congregation, our church, our denomination. But he said to us, in order to be able to even consider uh, this being an assignment that we could take in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. In the ESV, it says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to, to us. All authority in heaven and earth has actually been given to us, personally, individually, and as a congregation. All the authority in heaven and earth has been given to us. And with that authority, he, he, he gives us uh, a, an admonition and an exhortation, Go therefore, go therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Ghost, and to teach them to observe all of the things that I have commanded you. And then he goes on to say that he will be with us always, even unto the end of the age. We live in a modern nation. We're surrounded by the lost. 25.5 million people within this nation. The world talks about Australia. We're, we're a pace-setting nation. You know, the census used to call Australia a Christian nation. It's less inclined to do so, 
by simply some of the nature of the questions that you answer. But there is a live church in Australia. There is an active church in Australia. There's believers that know Jesus Christ in Australia. And there are believers who have taken up the call in Australia. And there is a prophecy over this nation that there will be a move in the last day uh, um, among those in this nation, that things will happen in this nation by the Spirit. It does not excuse us from sharing with those who do not know. But let me tell you, with the 5.1 million in Queensland and the 2.4 million in Brisbane, some will say 30 to 50% are not born again. I'm going to say, let's go for them. Come on. Let's go for them. Let's change the numbers. You know, if you were on a sporting team, I would tell you, let's practice and practice and practice and practice. Let's practice. But let's get out there. Let's win the game. I tell you what, we've got God on our side. He's given us the authority. Uh, They belong to us. They belong to him. He sent his son for them. I say, let's change the numbers. Let's change the stats. Let's change the census. Let's change the answer on the sentences. Are you a member of a local church? Yes. Would you consider yourself a Christian? Let's have people all over this nation, all over this region, all over Queensland. Let them have, have them start filling in that box. Yes, I'm a Christian. And the reason would be is because we've decided to change the numbers. And we've decided to take that authority and to go out into our world to win our world to Jesus Christ. You know, as, as believers, we are uh, end-time harvesters. Jesus Christ is coming back soon, and there's been a a general assignment that's been given to the entire church. But I'll tell you what, there is a strategy to win our world to Jesus Christ that engages us both as a church, as a local church, and a live, heartwarming local church. There is a strategy. But God has also given us a strategy uh, to minister from our houses and our homes to go out to win our world to Jesus Christ. There are holy and divine assignments for each and every one of us. I love the story in the Old Testament. It might surprise you a little bit that I talk about evangelism from the Old Testament. But I want to talk a little bit about God's rescue plan for all time. I want to take you to a couple really wicked cities in the Old Testament. If you've got a, bunch of a, if you've got a bit of a church background, you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you would have heard of Nineveh. These were really wicked places. Well, one of the things that God got involved in with Abraham was this, Abraham and Sarah. He made a covenant with them, told them that they were going to be the mother and father of many nations. They would have many children. They were the shadow and the type of the church. And so the, the story goes that, and he would have covenant with them, and he would be their God, and that their descendants would have the benefits of being in relationship. And so we talk about being the fact that we're the children of Abraham. And so one of the things we could tell you about is this beautiful story where uh, God and two angels decide to go visit Sarah and Abraham in a tent. And uh, he goes and visits them. They they roll up, and Sarah and Abraham are in the the tent. And uh, Abraham peers out the door, and uh, there's God and two angels. They come to see him and remind him that he's the father of many nations and remind Sarah that she's going to have a baby. And the Bible tells us in, in Genesis 18 that she laughs in her tent like, you know, and in a modern vernacular, she's going like, whatever, you know. I, mm-hmm, I don't think so. And God tells her that he heard her laugh, and she goes, I didn't laugh. And he goes, I heard you laugh. But here's the deal. One of the things that took place is that they come together, they fellowship, 
Uh, and so, so, so the shadow and the type of the church to come was a, a fellowshipping. There was, a, there was an eating. There was, a, you know, they, they, they uh, you know, slaughtered a, an animal. They ate it. Sarah was in there cooking some, um, I don't know, Vegemite sandwiches. I don't know. She was in there making him feel welcome. And uh, so they, they ate together, and there was a fellowshipping of the church with the, sh- the church to come with God. And so when the Bible tells us that when they met, they met in this, uh, this place uh, where there were a bunch of oak trees. And uh, so the, the first gathering of what I, I'm going to use to tell this story about the purpose and intention of God to rescue mankind comes from this particular, I want to take it from this particular passage. They meet under these oak trees. It's kind of a, a grove of oak trees. And so I want to say it this way, in the shadow of the type of the church meeting with God was in a place of these oak trees were noted for their strength. Uh, they were noted that, uh, for the fact that they could thrive in times of, of storms and, and adversar- uh, adversities. It was a place that was safe. It was a place that there could be a promise. Uh, there was a place where uh, there was a, a divine destiny that, that could happen within that place. In fact, that meeting with God and the angels and, and Sarah and Abraham was supernatural. It was supernatural. The interesting thing is, is that in order to be the church and to have covenant happen with these two, there needed to be the birth of a child. And that birth of that child in the origin of the shadow and the type of the church was going to come supernaturally. They were well beyond their childbearing years. It was going to come by the intersection of the spirit of the living God. But here's the deal. I never noticed, noticed this before. I told Pastor Tony the other day. I was pretty excited about it. He had to listen to it. Now he's listening to it twice. The minute they followed that time of communion and fellowship and the promise of a child to come, it, the Bible tells us that they turned and then God says to the angel, shall I go ahead and tell Abraham what's happening? He's going to be the father of many nations. I might as well fill him in. And they all agree. And so they turn on, from this immediate meeting under those trees of strength and purpose. And they turn, and the minute they get a sense of what God had destined for those that would follow him, they turn and they look at Sodom and Gomorrah. And the minute they move from that purpose of him being a father, them being a father and mother of many nations, they, he immediately puts them into his perspective, the perspective of eternity. And there's so many places they could have walked, but together they walked and they looked out over one of the most wicked cities that were present on the earth today. And he was saying, God was saying to them, I hear a cry coming from this nation. I hear a cry coming from this nation, and he engaged his man with that desperate need, immediately following, putting them in place. That's what God has always intended to church, is that we would get born again, and then he would immediately want us to get engaged and involved in his mission and assignment on the earth. And so immediately God showed him his heart, uh, he showed Abraham his heart, and Abraham, the Bible tells us, also knew his heart. And so Abraham 
goes and he begins to negotiate, to intercede on behalf of those that cannot help themselves. And he said, Lord, and you know the story, he goes through the numbers if there are this many people and this many righteous people and this many righteous people, will there be a destruction to come? Will there be a destruction to come? And the sound was so great that God said that, that God and Abraham were speaking and God did what he always does when there's an eternal problem on the earth and that is he engages a man. He engages a woman and he always engages them with a message that will rescue those who are in need. And so he, they, Abraham worked with Lot and Lot went and he sat in the, uh, the gates of the city and they would not receive from him uh, the message. They would not receive from him the message. And so we see a little bit of a different story, but let me say it this way. But God had a rescue plan for those that were in grave sin. And I'm going to talk about how God deals with those that are seriously separated from him and how he ministers out of his heart of love. And I'm going to talk about that in just a, a moment. But let me talk to you briefly about Nineveh. Nineveh was in the same condition. And God, one more time, selected a man. And he gave that man a message. And in this particular instance... When Jonah took that message to Nineveh, like, there's a whole story about how he didn't go straight away. Okay, I don't want to talk about that part. But he, had, he ended up going there, and when he did, he brought one message. He brought one message. He stood in the middle of the square. One man, God needed to rescue those that were in grave need. And he, brought a me- and he had a man with a message. And the man stood in the middle of the square and he brought that message. And the Bible tells us that the entire nation, including the king who had it published, began to repent. And that, that entire nation was saved because God selected one man who brought a message. And that message was that God in his love wanted to rescue. He wanted to rescue that man. I've got to watch the time. It's too dark for me to see that you're going stop. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm going to say this before I, I go a little bit further. I want to talk just a little bit about this. Just a little bit, and then we'll close for our break. There is a sound that comes up to heaven and to many times to us who are in prayer that will be the sound of those who are in great need. I'm going, to talk about, I'm going to talk about in the next session, I'll open, about how does God deal with those that are opposed to him. And let's just leave it here. Um, he had a plan, he had a message, and he wanted to rescue those that were in great need in a nation that was in nations that were totally opposed to him. For the nation that heard the message and received it, there was uh, a retrieve and they could go on in the future. He would, uh, they would pass on and they would be with him in heaven when there are certain things that you know about what happens with the Old Testament saints. I'm going to turn over to Benny. Benny will give the final words and then we'll go to our next session. In. Thank you, Pastor Dean Karen. Um, we can take a 10-minute break and we'll see you here in 10 minutes. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.